Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? Well, Jude, I'm excited because we're reuniting with a guest whose podcasting character studies and thematic explorations make every superhero universe a fascinating deep dive. Congratulations are soon in order as she draws closer to that 100-episode milestone, but for now, we're delighted to welcome TK back to the podcast. Welcome, TK. Hi, Trey. Hi, Jude. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. I'm so excited to talk about Ms. Marvel with you. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you for being here. I was thinking about it today. The last time we got together, it was in January for the Whoa, top five what? episodes. Oh, it was. And if I'm not mistaken, even further, I think we recorded at the tail end of December and released in January. Man, has it been that long? Wow. That's wild. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it's been that long. No. No. Well, and I probably probably because we have the group text. <laughs> yeah, that must be it. And and listening to each other, you know, I've been yeah. listening to your show obviously throughout the coverage of Miss Marvel, so I feel like I'm participating even mm -hmm. though I'm not really participating. Wow, that's wild. So this is this is a big moment. We've well, we've got a lot of things that we could catch up on in terms of the MCU if we're going all the way back to January. But yeah, I, as you stated, we have been talking in the in the group text about our thoughts on Multiverse of Madness and Love and Thunder and yeah. all of that. So it's like our own secret little podcast within right. just text only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, let me let me ask you because it's it's been a while then. Um, what have you thought about the MCU's 2022 so far? I don't disagree with some of what you all have been talking about here on your show in terms of some, let's, let's put it this way, feeling like there are a lot of exciting new characters and stories and potential coming from the Disney plus side of things. And also feeling a little bit discouraged uh, on the movie side of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, all I was going to say is it seems like that's kind of been the overwhelming response, you know, um, just the stuff I've seen online and, and things. The internet has definitely been polarized with the latest entries, I think, within the MCU on the movie side. And I was going to say it's fascinating to me because. I remember going into 2021 where everybody was like, oh, well, how important are these shows going to be? And right now, for me, I, I said this, I think, in our uh, Love and Thunder coverage, the the Disney Plus shows are the life pulse for me right now, uh, especially within this year. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and also I'd say I don't think any of us, I know Trey and I haven't, we really anticipated the amount of content that that we've gotten not just in 2022 but that the like this past in my head i think in terms of school years in this past school year like it was just such a a ride so yeah i was thinking the other day that it's been it's been a year since my my summer of black widow <laughs> and how much <laughs> I enjoyed that film. And, and <laughs> you know, I, on the one hand, maybe some of that excitement was around, you know, seeing a seeing a film based around this character who I had appreciated for so long and kind of finally seeing that film after all of the delays and the first movie back since the pandemic, all of that. 
but also you know thinking about how much that movie resonated with me and how many times i watched it and how much i i wanted to dig in and dig in and then feeling like you know some of the more recent entries and i'm i'm using black widow as an example i feel that way about a lot of other mcu films as well but i was having that moment of reflecting on you know that being a year ago and as much as there were elements of both multiverse of madness and especially thor love and thunder that i enjoyed a lot i don't feel that same call to rewatch and rewatch and revisit mm-hmm. and rethink and and dig in in the same way and maybe that's just the nature of some of the characters or some of the tone of, of those films, but we'll see. I, I don't feel like it's a foregone conclusion that uh, there won't be something that comes next in the realm of the films that that makes me feel differently again. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not uh, assuming the worst, but <laughs> um, but we'll see. Well, and it's interesting. We're recording right now just what a day two days ahead of san diego Mm comic-con so by the time this drops who knows what announcements well i mean i guess if you're following leaks and stuff um i try to scroll past them but yeah who knows what how much this is going to change in the next 48 72 hours (laughs) well yeah that's cool. It was awesome to get a taste of what you've been thinking of the MCU for 2022. But of course, if people downloaded this episode, they know we're going to be talking about the first season of Miss Marvel. We're about to jump into the spoiler zone, but TK, were there any non-spoiler thoughts you'd like to say about Miss Marvel before we go in? Just a bit of a tease on how sure. you've received it? Yeah, I don't think it would be a spoiler to say that this show is a, it's a coming of age story it's an identity story and that's my jam and so i really was excited for it going in and i was not disappointed in how uh how all aspects of it really felt true to that identity story and we'll get into specifics on the other side yeah nice well Like we said, you're going to hear an audio cue, and on the other side, it'll be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU, except Thor Love and Thunder. See you on the other side. And we're back. So, I think the simplest place to start is with the question, what did you think overall about the season? Now with more specifics, whether it be favorite scenes, favorite storylines, or any defining achievement of this first season. Uh, TK, if we could start with you, what stood out to you the most about this? Sure. So as I said, right, we have this identity story. We have, and you you both spoke to this in previous episodes of the show, that she's navigating these two worlds. She's living in Jersey City. Her culture is Pakistani. She's a teen girl. She has superpowers. This is the stuff that, you know, as a fan of this genre, this is the stuff that that I love. She's looking for her place to belong. She's trying to figure out who she is. And one of the things that I loved so much about this show is how, and, and I, I think we'll talk about this a little bit more as we get into specific episodes later, 
But the ways in which the first episode and the last episode spoke to each other and were so much of the same piece and really came full circle and spoke to that identity journey, I thought was was really, really brilliant. And mm-hmm. I guess the other thing I'll say at the top here is all of the stuff that you both have spoken to in terms of the tone and the aesthetic being something new for the MCU and being something that's just so visually and orally dynamic, I completely agree with. And I loved that aspect of it. And finally, Aman Vellani. Yes. Yes. Absolutely charismatic and dynamic on the screen and captures that character so well. Uh, it, she was she was just fantastic to watch here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what what I found fascinating, you bring that up, is you hear the debate of like who's the best Spider Man, right? Toby, Garfield, Holland, and for me, Holland feels like the comic coming to life. That's what Amant Vellani was. Is like if you've read any of the comics. Like this is Kamala Khan just jumping off the the page into the onto the screen, and and that was really impressive. And I think the thing that that continues to blow my mind about that fact: this is her debut. Like not just the MCU, all acting credit. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't. The, the MCU often gets credit for how they are so great with casting with Sarah Holly Finn. This is up there with just knocking out of the park of finding this actress to portray Kamala Khan. And TK, you know, I was thinking about how you mentioned these. This was a story about identity. Looking back on it, I think the thing that stood out to me also is I think the MCU has been in this game for so long that they've found impressive ways to freshen up the origin story so for example with shang chi you saw how like it wasn't a secret to him what he could do it was a secret to everyone else and you watched that you know unfold captain marvel they played with the time mechanic of working us backwards to that origin story but with this miss marvel this feels like the simplest origin story executed so wonderfully well that like it's funny how it comes full circle to like you're watching this this character who's not affiliated with any of the other superheroes who is learning that aspect about themselves and the way they're able to tie that back to identity as a teenager and identity as a superhero is just phenomenal. What I think about a lot with these stories and I go back to the conversations that we had about WandaVision and how much what resonated me what resonated with me so much about that show was also how they were able to make these connections between the content of the story and then the storytelling devices that they used and i think that with miss marvel we're seeing that as well right we're seeing the identity journey we're seeing the story circle as you both spoke to so much um over the course of the season and i think that's so uh, it, it's it works so well to your point trey in that it is like it's your classic origin story, but there's something crucial to what you said, which is that it was executed so well. And that's why I had my thinking face on because I'm like, well, what made it, what accounts for that? What made this one executed so well? And I'm thinking about 
the storytelling devices that they use. I'm thinking about the ways in which we see from that very first episode, we're introduced to this character's world in terms of her her online videos and in terms of her fandom and everything that they played with in terms of camera work and animation and something that you spoke to over the course of the season, the motif of the mirrors and uh, the clothing and how, how significant articles of clothing were over the course of the of the of the series and especially looking at that first episode to that last one i think all of those techniques really uh, emphasized the message and the theme and I, I i that's my musing on what made this so effective in terms of that origin story but what what else do you both think accounts for why this was so expertly done even as we say it's a pretty classic for lack of a better term like simple straightforward origin story i think hmm, that's a good question i'm so for me some of the stuff that they did i think really tapped into and, and actually, I can't even speak to whether or not they did this on purpose. It's just the feelings that that came up, um, and it goes back to the 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 way they visually showed us what's going on in Kamala's head is, I think, gave us a unique perspective that at least I'm not. I can't remember seeing that before, but also there was things that. For me, they tapped into. So, like when she came in after the party and she's dancing and singing, you know, and then it, and it cuts away at the fridge and cuts back. The two things that came to mind for some reason was, um, a I think the the music for some reason Dirty Dancing popped into my head <laughs> watching it, um, and then the opening scene of adventures of babysitting when Elizabeth Shue is dancing and getting ready for, um, oh, what's the actor's name? Bradley Whitford, uh, to show up and he shows up not dressed and cancels the date. And then, you know, adventures and babysitting ensues. But, but like there was moments like that from other coming of age stuff, whether it was this, Ferris Bueller, like like that, that it, it felt like there was these little homages that that popped in my head, you know. And so I think that's part of it that really worked well for me. Um, but also was with that visual style and the texting, you know, it was able to update it to to something that we're familiar with today. I think to answer your question would transition nicely into the thing that I liked most about Miss Marvel overall. And it was something that was like in my face, obvious the entire season, but sitting down to really think about it was like, oh, that's the core. And it's the family. And when I say family, not just her immediate family, I'm talking about Bruno and Nakia as well. Uh, by the end, Zoe, uh, Kareem, all these people who get involved with Kamala mirrors the feeling that I had in, I believe, episode two, 
where is it the Eid, the the festival where she saves the community? Mm-hmm. That was something I feel like we haven't seen a small scale hero helping the everyday citizen in a really long time. And it's, I think that's important because if you show us beyond the like, oh, the good virtue of saving the day, but if you show us what that hero cares about, we care about them that much more. And so having that interlinked with Kamala as well as the identity story part of it as well, it just was so realized and it felt like a fully cohesive world that was so easy to get attached to. That mm-hmm. family, I I love them so much. I I was thinking about it, and this was a last-minute thought, so I don't know if this passes, but I can't think of another family outside of maybe Ant-Man and the Wasp or Ant-Man and the Ant-Man and the Wasp that has that tight-knit of a family depiction. Mm-hmm. But uh, That's it, interesting. It's special. That's interesting because, okay, so we have, what, Peter Parker and Aunt May, mm-hmm. Thor I, and Loki? T'Challa and his family. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, I can't. And then I guess Fantastic Four is coming. (laughs) You have have your family dynamics in Black Widow, but it's very different because that's, you know, a a family that's been fractured and Mm -hmm. is coming back together. I I think what's really unique in the Miss Marvel story is that it's, uh, it's not, the character and one sibling or one parent it's it's actually a we're seeing a nuclear family and then we're seeing multiple generations and they're all it, it's yeah i think i think you're right i think that's really unique and then to your point the larger family as well including all of those other characters and the larger community who shows up for her at the end yeah, that's. I think that's more of what I'd like to see the MCU tap into, because I don't. I don't think it's new. We've seen interactions with community before, but because I think everything's been so grand stakes for so long, it just became like, of course they're saving the day because that's what they would do. They're good people, but like this reintegrated the community in a way that I haven't felt in a while. Well, and I think we talked about it, not just on the community and the family, but that so much of Kamala in particular was that in terms of a coming of age, who am I, that that there was tied to family history, which is also, I think, a very unique perspective. And I know we mentioned it, on, on I think, on different episodes, but it was just it's less of, or the way I would almost think of it is if it's, you think Ferris Bueller, I mentioned, I just, I mentioned adventures of babysitting earlier. I mean, I mean, you think about those coming of age type things, it is a separation of the family and becoming like yourself. Whereas in Kamala's stance, it was about, it was, it was the other way. It was about, and becoming who you are was understanding your role in this community and the family history and your your role from that, which I think is, you know, just different than what we're used to seeing. I really like the way you put that. That mm-hmm. it's obviously it's something we've talked about, but I don't I don't think I put it into that exact word. So that's really good. 
So Jude, what about you? Do you have a specific defining that you have not listed yet? Um, specific defining. Okay. So this is where, and I've said this a number of times and you sent me the text tray. Was it Bisha KLE who said it? Creator? With the um, ADHD? Yeah, well, not just, yes. the ADHD, not just the ADHD, but how they were hoping to have a movie later and be able to, and they wanted more of that visual style and Feige kind of pulled back mm. and was hoping to have a movie later to even dive even more into that visual style and just for where I'm at now in terms of understanding myself and how my head works, um, and learning more about beyond surface level stuff on ADHD for my own personal journey, I guess. I don't know a better word right now. That visual style just really spoke to me. And I still can't, and I feel like a broken record because I always bring that up, but that, but that is what really jumped off the screen for me and really was like, oh man, this is, this is what it was, what it's like going on in her head. And that's awesome. And I've been on, I'm not a school counselor, but I've been on that side of the desk where it was like, we just started talking 20 seconds ago. Where, <laughs> what are you doing? You, you know, and, and that's exactly what it's like. Um, you know, or, or we drive down the car and all of a sudden you're just looking out the window and just imagining things. And that's so normal to me. That's why I keep going back to that. So I looked it up. The The thing I sent you was an interview, and I'll have to go find the specific one to link it. But they it was the directors of the first and the first two in the last episode uh, where they asked if they called you about a season two, would you be there in a heartbeat? And Bill Falaw says even faster than a heartbeat. And then they go on to describe what you were talking about, wanting to mm -hmm. do more of that visual look. And I'm curious, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So if you don't have a, a particular answer, that's fine. But was there anything, or I guess to back up and say, the visual style of Miss Marvel was compared a lot to Into the Spider-Verse and the Mitchells versus the Machines, which I don't know if you ever got around to seeing that. So that I might, did not. Based off Miss Marvel, you should watch that. But in Into the Spider-Verse, those visual styles are familiar. Was there anything about Miss Marvel that stood out in terms of what they were doing versus what she was doing? in capturing that feeling you talked about with your ADHD experience? I don't, I'm not sure if I caught your question. Because I, I feel like Miss Marvel spoke to you in a way that I don't remember you hearing about Into the Spider-Verse. So I was just curious about like, if there's anything. I, okay. I, I think honestly, the distinction for me is with Into the Spider-Verse, the intention was to try to create a comic, like a paper mm -hmm. comic feel, right? Um, and so you had, I don't know the technical term, it's escaping me, but, but you had like the little dots, like you'd get from the, from the older printers, right. And you'd have, you know, parts that were focused and in and out of focus, you know, just kind of just to recreate that feel. Whereas I can see that being the inspiration Right. But the idea of like it truly for me, truly being, I, I saw it distinctly different just because of that truly being in um, her head. You know, um, I liked the, 
the animation style they went with. I think I think that's the other thing that made it work so well that it had kind of that chalk oil pastel kind of buttery look, you know, um, almost uh, or a like you know an expo marker on a on a see through clear whiteboard kind of kind of look. Um, so so I I think that also made a difference that that to me i didn't like put those together cool yeah like i said that was my own curiosity that just popped in my head as you were hearing as i was hearing you talk about it so i thought i'd uh poke a little further jude i really liked the way you described the look of the animation because Mm -hmm. that's something that i think i struggled to articulate and the way you said buttery and then the way you said expo marker on the whiteboard like (laughs) that's so true (laughs) you you captured it in those words yeah i nick sandy (laughs) (laughs) oh wow we got a quick nick sandy drop (laughs) but yeah like you you illustrated all the ways that that came to life especially the it was like living street art which i think Mm -hmm. is just it was so beautiful well, unless there's any other broad overview, positive, we can talk about Miss Marvel. I think we can go ahead and move into the next question, which, Jude, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot here again. Mm-hmm. All right. What was your biggest disappointment of the show? It ended. Um, <laughs> it, it, it ended like like when we were setting up to do this, I was scrolling through Facebook and there's this picture and from new Ross rock stars. And it says, I miss Kamala Khan and her family already. Aww. It's like, yes, I know. Honestly, I think, I think my biggest disappointment was it's hard to, I want to make sure I'm, I'm doing this right. Cause this is my favorite Disney plus show. And, and it, again, it goes back to how I read, read in, in the, the show I wish that visual style didn't go away when she left the States for Pakistan. I think on our episode talking about that, I think you had a really good explanation for it, Trey. But for me, because I associated it so much with Kamala's inner thoughts, that's something that should have continued more than what we got. And that style is one of the things that really made me fall in love with it because because to me that's also not just part of her inner thoughts it's also part of her personality you know and so like why you know reel reel that in at at that part so like that would be my biggest disappointment you know like there was some fear of the finale but i thought they they landed that perfectly you know so yeah it was a it was a Two episode departure, I think, from that signature look. Uh, TK, was that anything that stood out to you as well? Yeah, it did. For me, I felt like the episodes four and five, I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say that they were a disappointment. I still enjoyed them. I didn't think they were bad episodes of TV, but they did bring us away from what I was so enthralled with in the first couple of episodes. And I think that Jude is pointing to part of the reason why I was so enthralled with it. Like it is that visual style and just how much of a wonderful little 
corner of a world they really captured with her and her family and her high school in Jersey City. And so then to move away from Jersey City felt a little bit like a I was a, a little bit like, why are we doing this? And I, I do understand why we were doing this, right? Because that connection to her family's history and, you know, I'm a history teacher and mm -hmm. to actually episode five, to actually open up on a historical description of what happened with the partition, I thought was, I thought was brilliant. Like I loved seeing that historical context and I love thinking about that generational impact, that generational trauma I, I think it's important to informing who she is as a character however in a six episode series it felt jarring to move from her insular world to that broader context in terms of the historical context and take us out visually uh, into into that other landscape so there was something to that that didn't work perfectly for me um and again, I, I think I understand why we went there in terms of the storytelling, but those episodes were not my favorite, even though, and this is a little bit of the Moon Knight thing too, that penultimate <laughs> episode, which is all about the past and all about digging into that character's history, it's beautiful and it's, it's well done but it's not necessarily something that I feel eager to revisit. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I don't know if it's enough to call those disappointments, but that is something that I, I had been thinking about. Do you have a different take on it, Trey? I remember if I'm not mistaking the sequencing, I went to bat hard for it whenever we talked about it on our episode and the the like, you know, it makes sense to me why we would see it more subdued. We'd see Kamala take a bit of a step back in the focus because if this family is going to be linked to who she becomes, especially with the re revelation we had about how, oh, it was Kamala who was there in her family's history to be the one to go back, that it it's like I understood it. But Jude, I think hearing you talk about the and this is where it gets tricky because Bishop K. Ali did come out and say like well it's not quote unquote canon that she does have ADHD but if it is ringing true to the way that you felt represented Jude then I think you're right in that it isn't something that should be just like a light switch that just turned off for a few mm -hmm. episodes that's something that should stay with the character and to link it back to what you were saying TK which by the way these Disney Plus shows and their penultimate episodes, like they all, for whatever reason, I guess just whatever track that they have for writing, they are just like on cue every time for that fifth episode to be a tearjerker. But I remember when we were talking about our episode, I opened up that that podcast with, I don't know if I'm the target audience for these MCU shows anymore. And the reason being is, I don't want to call it necessarily an identity crisis, but it was kind of feeling like I enjoy this trip through history that we got because it is important to the character. But is it fair to expect this superhero show to be the one to deliver that? Where, like, is there a way to marry that side story that doesn't feel like a distraction, distraction from what was there being offered? Or is there a way to meld it? 
Um, I, personally, by the end, I felt like they did find that way, but I can also recognize that it wasn't everybody else's jam. So there is a part of me that still wants to go to bat for it, but I totally see the criticisms as well. That's that's an interesting question because it, I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm nervous about this it taking us away from this Marvel overall, <laughs> but it feels like that was the initial intent of the Disney Plus shows. So, like, if you imagine a Miss Marvel movie, but then a series that fills in that historical gap, right? That you see this backstory. Because I think we mentioned, it was like, that was such a different style. It could have been its own thing. And so, I think it feels like, I think the initial intent would have been, that's a side story. And Miss Marvel has the movie. I don't think that's what's going on. And so it's like you, and you, like you said, you have to have both. So you take this little detour and I thought it was done well for what it was. Right. But it did take you out of the, the initial story or not the story, but because it was such a part of the story. So I don't know. It had me thinking about the era of 22 episode seasons of TV and where it would not be unusual at all to have an episode halfway through the season of something like Buffy or Lost or something like that where you aren't with your main character or your main characters. And I loved that era of TV. And I think things have changed, though. So our viewing habits have changed. And so it did. I, I was thinking along those lines where, well, Maybe even if we had 10 or 12, right? We're never going back to 22. But maybe even if we had 10 or 12. I will personally strike. (laughs) (laughs) um, To have an episode, or really with episode five, it was half of the episode where we weren't with Kamala at all. It wouldn't necessarily feel as jarring as it did. And it would feel like added layers of, of rich context to understanding our main character. And I think what you brought up, Jude, is interesting because that is the benefit of the Disney Plus shows is that you do have more time for things like that. And yet I think for me, I was just so excited to really dive into who this character was and get to know her in the context of her her world then to zoom out, go to a different location, go to a different era of history, I felt like, oh, but I missed that other thing. At the end of the day, I think the way that the series wrapped up, I do understand why they made the decisions they did. And I don't think it's a harmful impact to the overall series because to understand her history and where she comes from is, it's great. And that's part of the story. And if we're talking about the themes of identity and family, it it's not like we went on a side quest somewhere that doesn't connect with those larger themes. It absolutely does. Um, If anything, I I feel like some of the stuff with the clandestines and uh, Karim and the red daggers thing, some of that is maybe the part that was 
slightly underwhelming for me. And so maybe I'm associating some of that exposition and some of that backstory with that episode four. Mm -hmm. And so it's maybe not even really the change of location at all, as much as it's, I wasn't necessarily as uh, taken by, by that stuff. Now that, now that I think uh, I have a number of things that just came to mind. Um, one first, just get this out of the way. It would not be a podcast with Tara. If you didn't bring up Buffy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to, you had to, it, Okay, was Buffy 30 minutes or 50? No, it was a full, it was like a full hour long slot of TV. So, okay, plus at, in the, at the 22. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, cause I was thinking of like, okay, some sitcoms are 30 minutes, you know, and you had the 22 episodes, those, you know, I really like West Wing when it was on, and I was thinking of some other shows. And, and, the one, the one that really popped into my mind is uh, the Good Wife, which I, I, I love that series. Um, I don't think I've actually finished it, um, but what I've seen is just amazing. And it's one of those TV, you know, you take your break at Christmas, come back, hour long thing. But they did such a good job of having having it both be episodic and serial, and. I, I find that interesting of like, would that work? Could we do that style with Miss Marvel or something that is episodic? You know, cause, cause, cause some episodes, like you said, do take that sidetrack or do, or what we call filler, right? It doesn't push the actual story. Uh, you might get some character development, but it's, it's, it's a filler episode. And yeah, we don't really, I don't, we don't really watch TV, especially in the streaming services, let's put it that way, like that anymore. And would an MCU show work like this? You know, like, so in other words, like my most disappointing thing, jokingly, well, not jokingly, but kind of semi-jokingly, like, oh, it ended, right? Um, but could I, would that actually work? And I don't, I don't think it would. You know, to have like a Buffy style run with, say, Kamala Khan. I got to say, you've got me thinking because I've never thought about contextualizing these stories in that old 22 episode format. And so that's got me thinking. And on top of that, listening to you both, it's it's funny to me that I think it's safe to say this is one of our, our highly rated Disney Plus shows among the three of us an episode length in time and limit is still something we're bumping up against. Even though this is one of the better examples, it is still feeling like, I guess to put it in another way, because the time within these series is such a valuable resource now at only six, like that's something that feels more pertinent to me than I think I feel in other series. And even series that are like, on the limited run side of like, I guess eight is the common at this point for most shows. It's just eight episodes, but with six, it's really, really stretching what it can do within those time limits. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to remember, they didn't bring up. Okay. So when Kamala met the clandestines, the, they didn't tell her about the red dagger and that organization, right? Yes. 
Yes. You're right. They didn't. Okay. Get, yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> okay. Well, because well, well, I was, I was, I was, I was shaking my head and Trey was nodding, but we were both communicating the same thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted well, to confuse you. <laughs> well, in, in that in that 22 episode format, like, and again, the the backseat writing we sometimes do, sometimes um, that that we do. I'm wondering if that is also part of that disconnect because you feel like, oh, she she met the clandestine, she's finding out who she is in this. And and even if they, you know, turned out to be bad or whatever, but then she meets the Red Daggers and gets that essentially that same trope, I guess, again, of like, oh, here's your history and this is who you are, kind of thing. And you only have a limited time to do it. Whereas if you were doing a 22 episode thing, let's just imagine that for a second, like in my TV mindset, right? You start late August, early September, you're going into end of October, beginning to getting into November, which is like your sweeps months for television. And she is, meeting the clandestines, learning from them. But then eventually she's going to start feeling kind of like, okay, this isn't the right group. And so that's why you leave in and the clandestines would have to talk about their enemies, the red daggers. And you get your Christmas cliffhanger, come back into January, February is a sweeps month. And so you'd have that's where she figures out the red daggers aren't who they were. And then that would give you February, March, April, then the last sweeps month, May, where you finish in the thing. And that's how you would structure the 22 episode that in a 22 episode um, time frame. So, I mean, I guess it could be done, you know, and, and, and again, thinking about that disconnect, because you, you have those two things, but it has to happen so quickly and so back to back that it feels like, well, we just had this conversation with this group and that turnaround of going to Pakistan and, and, and it feels like you're out of here or you don't have, I don't want to call it filler episodes, but you don't have that that time to like, oh, here's 10 episodes for this. Here's 10 episodes for that. This other spare two. We're going to take you off to Pakistan, you know. Okay, so change my mind. It would have worked that way in Disney Plus. <laughs> so, well, TK, you did mention the potential that it was the Red Daggers and the Clandestines that is what you're associating memory wise of those episodes being less than your favorites. Is that your biggest disappointment of the series, or do you have anything else? No, I, I think I think it might be that. And this conversation helped me get there because I I was thinking through that whole episode four and five thing and why I didn't necessarily respond as well to them. And I think that this conversation helped me realize that it might it's not necessarily because we left Jersey City or we left Kamala for a little while, although it, it felt jarring in the moment. I do think those decisions made sense, as we discussed. It may have been more about that, what Jude is speaking to, where it was like, oh, we're getting more exposition after we got the exposition. Oh, there's another group now. There's the this group and the that group. 
And then the the death of Nashma was felt pretty quick and and also like her change of heart felt really quick. <laughs> um, and so that that might be some of what I'm responding to here as well. <laughs> that quickness, I almost forget how like you could trace the exact moment where I get upset where they it's that weird like, whisper of comrade and the thing closes like i i i was actually talking to friend daniel about this i have my own little theory that i think there was almost two creative teams on that episode where it was the uh the director i'll have to look up the name i'm forgetting it at the moment the director who did four and five and then for that last little tell bit i think it was like pickups or something because it was just so jarringly different to everything that had come before it but speaking more to what you were saying and how this conversation has illuminated my feelings through four and five as well, I think the thing, thinking back on it, is the clandestines were, it, it almost feels like the Red Daggers were there to make that surprise of the clandestines are lying. And then the lying wasn't even worth it by the end, as you illustrated with that quick turn. So it was like, you could cut almost all of that out and it would be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's unfortunate. And really, I mean, transitioning into my disappointment, it stems off of that because of that time that we spend with the Red Daggers and the Clandestine. I'll speak this boldly. Despite loving this series so much, feel like it robbed us of something that would have been super vital to what they were telling and that was Muniba's reaction to Kamala. I will I wouldn't trade it for that shot of her looking off into the distance as Kamala like high steps away and you can see on her face that she's finally made peace with it and is happy about it. But I can't help but wonder what would this series have been if the quote-unquote antagonist wasn't this red daggers or the clandestines but it was having to face her mother's reaction to this fantastical side after we learned about her mother's history with it with her mother sana that that was my biggest disappointment yeah yeah you're right speaking of quick turns that was to go from you know my mom shamed our family because of this fantastical st story to so yeah, like that's that that is a very quick turnaround. And like I said, don't get me wrong, I love it. I still I think they did a serviceable enough job of what they had been telling of Muniba and Kamala's story throughout. Man, I that that will I think remain something that sticks out to me every time I think about this series. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me let me throw this out there then. So so yes, that was a quick turnaround on Kamala's mom. But don't we want that? Like, uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, the whole thing between them butting heads was her mom trying to, this struggle of, right, of like, I'm, I'm trying to be the best parent I can be and protecting my kid. And and navigating this world of well we talked about it having a, having our having a foot in both worlds of being 
U.S., um, Pakistani, you know, and in, in navigating that and her mom trying to protect her. Uh, and then later finding out like, okay, that, you know, they almost weren't able to have a second kid, you know, so that, but at the same time, from Kamala's standpoint, we want to be our own person. We want our parents to accept us as we are rather than us becoming who they want us to be. Right. And, and so even though it was a quick turn, there, there was still growth. It was like on her mom's part to say, yeah, like you are 16, you are this, I have to be able to, to, well, and I, I say this with my seniors, right? It's like, it's like, you're going to graduate. You're going to go off to school, give your parents a break. It's like, cause they're going to transition into what is a parent has meant one thing for the past, especially if you're an only child, 18 years, right? They're going to leave and you immediately want them to see you as this adult. And it's just not going to happen. They've had 18 years of this is what a parent is. And it's going to take them time to transfer to thinking of them as I teach in an all boys school as their adult son, right? As just their son. And so like, well, while it happened quick, I mean, that's, that is what we want to see between them though. Right. I mean, that is what's most satisfying is to see the parent accepting their child for who they are, you know? So, so like for me in that, in that way, I think the show got it, got it right. We're just dealing with, again, those time constraints. Yeah. Not to jump too far ahead, but I think that I, like like you both i did feel like it was quick but also i agree with you jude that that doesn't undermine the show and the message of the show for me i think that this more about muniba would have been that's kind of my answer to the to the question of if we had a couple more episodes where could we expand <laughs> right like mm-hmm. like that's kind of something where I think it would have been an, it would have been an added value if we did have more time because mm-hmm. to see more of just to see more of that relationship would have been really special because it it was just so so well done. I loved the parents in this in this series. They are so funny and so it feels so real and I I can't relate to the aspect in which you know, Kamala is a a first generation, um, you know, American. Um, And I I can't relate to that. But there are aspects to just the the relationship between parent and child that feels so universal. And I, if you don't mind, I actually was recently rereading a book that's one of my favorite books, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I'm I'm a huge fan of Glennon Doyle. And I came across this this section that reminded me a lot of what I was watching in Miss Marvel. And um, this is what she writes, because it connects so much to what you were just saying, Jude. Um, so she writes, what if parenting became less about telling our children who they should be and more about asking them again and again forever who they already are, 
then when they tell us, we would celebrate instead of concede. And I just I thought that was really powerful. And I'm not a parent, but like you, I am a teacher. And so it's even something that's crossed my mind there. But um, all that to say that the relationship between Kamala and both of her parents in this series, I thought was so well done. And because it was so well done, I would have wanted to see more of it. And I want, want to, I would have wanted to see more of that relationship and more of that experience of having that turn for Muniba. So it did feel quick, but it also it also doesn't undermine undermine it for me overall. One, thank you for sharing that quote. That was incredibly beautiful and I think incredibly pertinent to what we've been discussing. And then two, I'm so glad that you transitioned us into this question because I was thinking about it like, oh, I'm coming up next first. And I basically just said what my answer would have been. So I'm glad we got your perspective <laughs> on it as well. And if I can just underscore it one last time, because you, you hit the nail on the head, it doesn't undermine it whatsoever. That's why it feels serviceable to me. But if like, Jude, we clocked this, I think, in episode two. No, episode one. It wasn't that Kamala was ashamed of her family. She just didn't know how to say this is what she needs to do yet. And so if you externalize that problem of, say, for example, Kamala, we spend an episode of Kamala coming out of that partition memory, and that's where her mother discovers it, then it becomes... Kamala's having to take that fear she had in episode one, or maybe not fear, but that inability to do so and have to confront her mother about it. And so that's why I agree with what you were saying. Like, this is what we do want, but because it was illustrated that this was a, a, a problem for Muniba to get over, I can't help but what think about what that would have been if we would have just spent a little more time on their dynamic there. That's I'm with you, TK. My one episode, one or two episodes would have been in that section for sure. Absolutely. But Jude, what about you? If you, uh, the champion of more episodes, got to give them two more, what would you spend oh. time on? I want Brian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no, well, hey, I, I would love more Brian. Um, but I'm with y'all and the family. But I'd really, really want to see more of her brother. I really just <laughs> loved him. Um, and I, I think the actor himself is from Texas. So that, that was always, every time he's on the screen, I was like, oh, I don't know why. There was something about that 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 um, every time I saw him, I was just like, this is awesome. This is, I, I love this guy, you know. Um, and, I, and I just, and so yes, definitely the more of the family dynamic, but I, I really want to see more of her brother, you know. Um, my favorite, he just like shows up. He's like, yeah, you know, mom sent me here. I don't need a chaperone. <laughs> you know? I'm trying to think it's, it's not often that we get that. The, the easiest way to explain it, because this is what it is in the, the show is that older sibling dynamic, but like having a hero taken down just a notch by someone like that, because like even down to when she first like reveals to her family who she is but they already know and he's like so did you decide to let that kid fall in the moment or was that like a game time decision like that <laughs> that is a fun dynamic we don't get enough of yes. <laughs> um, i support amir's awesome and i didn't know about his texas origins that's really cool yeah 
Well, it feels like we're wrapping up the one or two episodes question. So we can go ahead and move into the next one, which is what lingering questions do you have for the series? So were there any particular scenes that stood out to you that have provided this feeling of wanting to see more moving forward? Uh, TK, coming back to you, what do you think? Yeah, so I think, well, there's a couple of things. One, and I haven't had the opportunity to talk about the series episode by episode because I've taken a little bit of a break, a little bit of a hiatus with my own show. But in episode one, we hear about Scott Lang's podcast. And (laughs) I... Love this idea. So funny. First of all, I love how it kind of provides an answer to how do people in the world after the events of Endgame know what happened during Endgame? The fact that Scott Lang is podcasting about it makes a lot of in-universe sense. And I I like that a lot. Um, But so one of the things for me that not that this is really a lingering question, but something that I enjoyed was the couple of references that we got to Ant-Man in this series. And I think it would be so awesome to get some type of Ant-Man and the characters from the Ant-Man world crossing over with the Miss Marvel characters at some point. I think that they would gel really nicely together. And also, I I do have lingering questions about the Scott Lang podcast and when are they <laughs> going to create... <laughs> tie-in content when are they going to get paul rudd to as ant-man like do a podcast that would be fantastic i really hope they open ant-man and the wasp quantum mania with him sitting in his closet recording a podcast (laughs) (laughs) like that's how they should open the movie they really should oh if they don't now i think i'm going to be disappointed yeah i loved that detail Apparently, Bisha K. Ali was vying for it. She wanted to get Paul Rudd to do this. And it would be such interesting marketing leading up to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania to to have that like transmedia advertisement with it. It would be brilliant. It would be so great. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. So I, uh, I love that. I'll have to find the link to make sure to, to or the tweet to link to it. But yes, yeah, apparently right after that episode came out, she was like, I, I want to make this happen. Well, the thing you can go to and I subscribe to it day one. Like I hit pause that far into the first episode, uh, you know, and went and subscribed on youtube to sloth baby productions <laughs> like like i'm watching it <clears throat> pause pull out my laptop pull it up there it is subscribe um so it they have to like paul rudd doesn't need a life he is now scott <laughs> lang it's it's time to embrace it it's gonna be my personal headcanon that that diner scene in Endgame has scarred him to the point of like, I'm never going to have somebody not recognize me again. And that's why he started the podcast. Oh my goodness. I love it. <laughs> that's so funny. I, I don't know about y'all, but I'm always getting recognized <laughs> from my podcast. I start speaking and people are like, wait, I've heard you before. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. We were just having a conversation about like, you know, say this becomes like worldwide hit. 
people aren't going to recognize our faces. We would just have yep. to hope that they hear us talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so funny. This is a total tangent, so feel free to cut this. But I, as, as you're right I at home, <laughs> mentioned to, to you both, I have been, um, I've been taking courses to become a school leader. And some of my courses are online. And we had, we had class last Saturday. And some of us have a group chat that we're texting while we are in our course from home. And I was participating, I was sharing some thoughts on something. And I then I look at the phone and there are all of these messages from my group saying how much they enjoyed hearing how much they enjoy hearing me talk and how much they like my voice and this and that it's very it's a very supportive group everyone really builds each other up it's very nice but then one of them goes we should subscribe to tara's podcast just to hear her voice (laughs) 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 um which i thought was really funny (laughs) yes and go download all the backlog yeah (laughs) and share with a friend There was an so idea, fun. a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Um, I do have another one, though. Go for that's it. That's okay. Because the Scott Lang podcast was, I mean, I mean it, don't get me wrong, but that's kind of a funny one. But I do that's- have questions. Go ahead. I was going to say that feels like the next evolution of Avengers in Flannel, like what you're looking yes. forward to. Scott Lang's podcast feels like one step closer to that reality. It does. And now now you have me thinking that he's doing a podcast episode where he invites some of the other Avengers over and they have a little campfire and they're wearing their flannels and they have some Heineken's, the official beer of the MCU, and still trying <laughs> to make that happen. So, um, yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, but the other, the other lingering question that I have in terms of what I think plants an interesting seed is everything that goes down with damage control and with Agent Deaver breaking off from damage control. Um, This question of, you know, emerging and seemingly growing distrust of superheroes, which might start to translate into that distrust of or um, concern about or fear of mutants as we might move into mutants in the MCU. So I think that element of of her character and how she she goes against what damage control wants and that tension there. So what's the role of damage control moving forward? What's her role moving forward? Not necessarily that we'll even necessarily see that character again, but people like her who are falling into this um, emerging anti-superhero sentiment that we've seen. I think that's one of the most subtly interesting things about phase four is that they're not hitting us over the head with it, but we keep seeing this, this, uh, this emerging aspect of the zeitgeist in which we see more and more folks who are not fans of, of superheroes. So that's something that I, I have my eye on moving forward. Yeah. Well, this is the second um, Disney plus series where we've had something like that where mm-hmm. some are, you know, sword, some organization that with somebody within it, you know, had that very anti enhanced or, or superhero. Um, I'd argue three. Cause you have the flag smashers as well. And Falcon and the winter soldier. Yeah. Three with there. The, the only thing I would separate with the flag smashers 
is sword and damage control are I'm assuming government damage control for sure, but government related. Whereas flag smashers was more of an independent group. And so that's something I find interesting and why I'd want to see agree with Tara and would want to see more of that is because it's like we have damage control and it was clearly from what we saw here, it was a clearly very anti-enhanced superhero bias. And then when you get sword and and to build that world, we we definitely need to see more. You can't just do that and walk away and not have that come back. So in other words, would it have been better if in WandaVision it was damage control instead of sword? So now you have that connection and you've seen it twice from from the same group. Now I know why you did sword because of Monica Rambeau. So I get I get that, but you you start adding to that threat if they become a repeated appearance rather than like one offs mm-hmm. from these two different factions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's definitely a good lingering question because it's 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 rich with potential. Uh, I know I've highlighted it in our coverage that it's a potential we could see in Armored Wars, which is all about the Tony Stark legacy who has funded damage control. So what do you do when the most recognizable heroes legacy is now targeting these individuals in, in this discriminating way? Yeah, and I like it. You know, of course, we see the damage control agents in, or the one agent we see in Spider-Man No Way Home. And then I think back to even, you know, going back to Far From Home, right after Endgame, they start planting the seeds of questioning truth, right? And questioning, are these heroes, you know, we we see J. Jonah Jameson's take on Spider-Man. So that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about the MCU is that sometimes you can look back and you can see how they've slowly planted seeds of something. And right now, I'm finding that more interesting than the kind of repeated false starts that we're getting with the multiverse, not to open up that can of worms, but right, something like the multiverse (laughs) kind of, it feels like repeated false starts, whereas there's these other threads that like, you know, we keep seeing billboards for the GRC in the background and Eternals and Moon Knight. And we, we're seeing damage control and we're seeing this growing sentiment of questioning the intentions of the heroes. And we're looking at truth and how it's constructed. And we're looking at the fandom around the Avengers, like AvengerCon. Like that was mm-hmm. that was brilliant. Um, so I anyway, so like, real. <laughs> Right? Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Like when that scene and they're playing Star Spangled Man, I was I loved that. I love that so much. But yeah, so there I feel like there's some really interesting stuff going on in the background and I hope that it's going somewhere. So that's that's a lingering a lingering question that I have because if that's going somewhere and if that ties in with what we might see coming soon in terms of mutants, that's going to feel satisfying and uh intriguing and up to par with the the intertextual connections that i always really long for and appreciate in the mcu okay so you brought up mutants what was your 
what are your thoughts? What was your reaction to that two weeks later scene? The music cue. <laughs> the, music, the music cue is always going to get me. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't. I wasn't super surprised that they made that hint, or I don't know. How are how are you guys taking it? Is this a? Are you taking it like, oh, they're saying that Kamala Khan is a mutant, or are you taking it as they're teasing something or they're hinting something? I know I'm taking it as she's a, a mutant X Men character, and I'm relying on that meta knowledge of knowing originally they wanted her to be a mutant before the studio politics forced them to create an inhuman character. So I almost don't want to give it up because it's like, oh, this feels like poetic justice that this character gets to come back to the original creation of the creator. So I think I'm, whether it be stubborn or proven stubborn by the end of this, I think I am putting my flag in like, yeah, she's, she's a mutant. Yeah, I'm going to go with Mutant. Um, I, I just... If if she's not, right? And let's say they work their way back to Inhuman. Man, that's such a false start to give the musical mm-hmm. cue. Mm-hmm. You know, so so for me, definitely Mutant. Um, and again, like you said, that musical cue for me was such a nice touch. Yeah, as soon as I heard it, like I openly was like, holy, sh-, like just audibly, <laughs> like it forced out a, a verbal reaction to it because I just was not expecting it whatsoever. Yeah, I think I think that's when I t- sent you and friend Daniel the message on Discord that all caps seen it with exclamation points <laughs> um, right then before we even get to the, the actual end credits. So what about you, TK? Do you have a reaction to whether it's mutants or something else? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with Jude. I think it would be a pretty, pretty bad tease. If at this point they walk it back, especially after having that music cue and knowing that fans know what that means. Um, I do. I do love her line when she's like, well, whatever it is, it's just going to be another label. I, I liked that because I, um, and maybe this is thinking too much into it, but it almost feels a little bit meta. Like, you know, the people behind the people creating the show sort of saying like, you know, I I don't know, kind of being aware of how much they've teased mutants and like the power that this word holds over the fandom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for that. I, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic bridge into where the MCU might be going next uh, to have this character with the mutation and have this be our first our first entree into what that would mean. I'd love to see this character interacting with other X-Men. Uh, and I love the idea. I mean, who knows what's going to happen and maybe we get some announcements with San Diego Comic-Con, but I love the idea of we have all of these characters who we know and love in the X-Men world. And I do believe that we will see new iterations of them. We will see new actors playing Wolverine and Cyclops and Rogue or whoever else. Right. But I kind of like the idea of, of um, making it a younger 
thing at least at first like so i like this idea of kamala khan and like what what it might look like to explore other teenage mutants not turtles <laughs> but, <laughs> screw it bring them uh, all in <laughs> so um yeah so i'm excited i'm excited for what that might mean moving forward yeah i think you just sparked my excitement as well because with kamala in this she has so much reverence for the avengers and that plays off so well with that idealized version of what she thinks it means it would be interesting to see her placed with a younger set of mutants who do not have the presence that the avengers have and see how that changes her dynamics within the superhero superhero realm so i think i I think you just won me over on your uh young mutant uh train well it's interesting because you 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 talk about taking it younger um we well in Trey and I were talking about this off pod, uh, Stranger Things, and I think it was my friend Sean, coworker Sean, uh, that I text that I texted this that Nat uh, Natalia Nat- Natalie uh, Dwyer, the one that plays Nancy mm-hmm. Wheeler, is like it's like oh my gosh that's that's Kitty Pride that like that needs to be the X Men's Kitty Pride, um, and 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 and. and but that show like that and looking at these actors, the the younger actors coming up and um and not just there, I Stranger Things is on, on the mind, but but definitely start to embrace that, right? Take these these and the younger route, which we can we can see them doing. I mean Ailey Seinfeld, Florence Pugh, uh Iman Villani, um So Chill. Um, I feel like I'm missing some. Well, it, you know, um, oh, who was it? The twins from the, the twins. You know, I mean, you could. I mean, I know he's in his forties, but he doesn't certainly doesn't look, look like Oscar Isaac. Forties, fifties, forties, I think. But but I mean, like like it is a a younger group both in age and in terms of um mainstream name recognition to put it that way yeah so do you do you have any lingering questions for miss marvel that we haven't touched on yet sort of i mean i feel like it's going to get answered when i watch the marvels um (laughs) (laughs) like i want to know what happened you know um, with with the switch and and having Carol Danvers show up, um, it, well for me I didn't think it was Carol Danvers at first. Like I thought it was um, Kamala, but that's because I'd read the comics, um, you know. And so I know they came out and said no, it's actual switch. So so that and I think Trey, you said it like this was the best intake the Disney Plus shows have had because it did it followed up with the story. It gave the groundwork of what we're going to see upcoming. Um, unlike, well, at the time of the recording, who knows what happened in San Diego comic-con unlike, um, the Eternals, you know, where you get Marshall Ali's like, so we know blades coming, but you don't have a date. 
So it's just kind of like out there. Whereas this, we know, oh, filming, reshoots, here's the, the set date. So you truly have that tease of something to look forward to. Th- that is an extension of this character's story. Uh, so yeah, that right now is my biggest lingering question of like, uh, and also because I get to see Kamala again, and I'm imagining I'm going to get to see Carol Danvers interact with Kamala's parents and brother. Like she's in the house. Like, like, give me the marbles. <laughs> TK, you why. seem intrigued by that idea. I do. I don't even know why I didn't. I didn't even think of that to see Brie Larson as Captain Marvel interacting with Kamala Khan's family. That's just going to be brilliant. Oh my goodness! If that doesn't happen now, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, I definitely need that to happen, especially after we've seen apparently Yusuf and Muniba don't have the highest of opinions of, of mm-hmm. Captain Marvel. Oh, gosh. It'll be int- She's going to make a comment about her suit being too yes, tight or something. Too tight. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so good. Oh, man. I agree well, wholeheartedly. You, you, Best end tag in a long time. Yeah. That feels like a different discussion, but I almost went, is it one of the better ones of the movies as well? But. That that's something we might have to put a pin on and come back to at some point. <laughs> well, yes, because because that goes back to I'm going to bring it up again. The things we've been circling around off pod, and I've mentioned a couple of times, is that expectations of the trained expectations of what we've had from watching years of MCU content and resetting that MCU brain and, and you know, so looking back and like how many in tags actually paid off as quickly as they did, especially early on. Um, and some of it I think paid off because you had the big announcement where they laid out the whole long slate that even Feige later said he wished he didn't do, you know? And, and so like, and so that's where I think, yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's very much part of that conversation because it's easy to be like, well, those in tags don't pay off, but we don't see his, you know, pegboard, you know, um, unless they decide to, to just go ahead and give us the slate for the next couple of years, you know, this weekend. So, well, according to Mon Valani, all we got to do is just get cast in the MCU. And apparently she knows all the secrets now. Because yeah. she did an AMA where somebody asked, like, what's been the best thing about being part of Marvel Studios? And she goes, knowing more than the subreddit of Marvel Studio leaks. And that is <laughs> an all-time answer from any of the actors who have given an, a, uh, an Ask Me Anything interview. She's so great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. But you know, she, keep- she's also correct in Feige. <laughs> With the 616. So. That's right. Uh, I'll keep my lingering question brief because we we just talked about it in kind of close relation with the family and their interaction. But for me, as tightly woven as that family dynamic is, and again, I'm using family to beyond just the the immediate family, but like the friends as well. Like, when are we going to see Bruno or Nakia again? Like, is there, I don't know if we'll see him in the Marvels, but TK, when you were talking about Ant-Man and the podcast, I would love if for some reason Bruno and, and Scott Lang somehow get intertwined as smart as he is and dealing with quantum mechanics, that feels like a pairing that's just right there in the open. Where's Scott Lang based? San Francisco. 
And where is Bruno going to school? Caltech. Yeah. Same state. <laughs> now, I don't know where Caltech actually is in California. I just <laughs> Caltech is in Pasadena, which is further south. Well, he's got I've, that cool car now, so he look, can make that drive. They got to Pakistan and back without <laughs> jet lag. They can get to Pasadena. To, they did to get to Pakistan and back very quickly. <laughs> Um, Pasadena, I, I was like, I've been to Caltech before. Why am I not remembering? It's like closer to LA, but it's not LA to San Francisco. Not that far. Okay. Yeah. We'll see if it happens. Well, moving along again, I'm going to put the pressure on you, TK. Do you have a favorite episode of this series? If you could pick one. <sighs> well, it's hard to pick one because my answer is actually the first and the last because mm -hmm. I kind of hinted at this before, but I really feel like this show did such an awesome job of having the first episode and the last episode be in such conversation with each other and really act as like, you know, mirroring each other. We see um, so many of the motifs come back, the mirror, the costume, going back to the high school. We see the Zoe character come back. We see this idea of planning with the blackboard um the conversations with with her mom and with her dad like just the coming full circle that they did with the episode one and the episode six i thought was just so well done um if i'm actually picking an overall favorite i might stick with episode one because as much as i really did enjoy the entirety of the series like there was something so special to just having that um the introduction to the character and the introduction to the visual style and uh, just, I was so taken with how how charming Amon Vellani is, and how how dynamic the world is. The supporting performances right off the bat in that first episode, you, I'll speak for myself. I felt connected to her family and felt taken in by Bruno and Nakia. And so, so yeah. So overall, I, I think I would choose the first episode because of what it did for introducing us into this corner of the world. But I really have to say that I, I view the first and the sixth episode as being part of the same piece. Yeah. It's such a declaration statement of an opener to just like come in and do what's able to do in such a short time frame and be like, I love this, this world, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so you definitely have permission to speak for me on that part for sure. <laughs> Uh, Jude, what about you? Do you have a favorite episode? I'm going to take everything you just said about episode one. <laughs> it's, this is going to sound weird. And say, that's why episode two is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so how, uh, how does that check out? Uh, well, it's just everything you said, I, I love. And, that is, and, and, and you're 100% correct. But I remember watching episode two. And the confidence that she had walking through the school and kind of doing the dance and, and, and I loved it. And, and right then, like in my head, I was like, this show is special. You, you know, just the way she was able to, to come out and portray that confidence of, in my mind, again, what a normal teenager, like, 
like you just did this, but and you and and you're not like worried about it. You're like, look what I can do, <laughs> you know. Um, and and just that scene alone, I was just like, wow, this is special. Um, you know, so so I think I think that's that's why. I mean, the, episode one was so good, and you have all that in that setup, but then to have her walk in in that in that way and go through the same sequence, but with that confidence, you know, and and to see Amon Vellani pull that off, and it was just so impressive uh, for me. So that I think that's that's why episode two, because that was the moment where I was just like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. The reason that caught me so off guard is because I thought you were going to say, I'm going to take everything you just said. And that's why I'm going with episode six. So the fact that you went with two <laughs> really caught me off guard, but I thought I was going to be right smack dab in the middle because for me, it's episode three and kind of mm. in that similar space that we're talking of the story circle I, I, again, I feel like a broken record, but this is so central to the character because that family is so important to Kamala. The fact that they paired being at the bottom of that story circle, getting what you want, but it not quite being what you thought it would be, and then being forced to have to rec- reconcile with the ramifications of what she has chosen affecting those around her at that wedding. It was just like, I, that's... I think I told you when we started Miss Marvel Jude that I was afraid to get hurt again. Mm-hmm. By episode three, I was like, oh no, I'm hoping again. <laughs> like I was so, <laughs> so confidently done and so perfectly paced. And on top of just how beautiful that wedding sequence was and all the events leading up to it showing this being a family melding together and sharing these stories, it's just, it was beautiful. It was, uh, it's, it's a really special episode, I think. Mm-hmm. I love the way you put that, Trey. Thanks. So, the real answer is all of them. But if I had to pick, <laughs> I'm going with three. <laughs> the, the the super cut that's actually a six hour movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, I was wrong. I, I I said the last question was the favorite episode, but I forgot we got one more. I'd be so shocked if we haven't talked about it already, but Jude, I'll start with you. Is there any lesson you'd like to see this episode take moving forward with the Disney Plus shows? You know what? Be- before, it's interesting. Before, I I was not, you know, uh, has to have two more, has to have eight. I didn't do that this time. Um, but after this conversation, I'm like, okay, I can see where we should have eight. But I don't know what... Okay, so here's one. I'm going to go back to WandaVision. And because I remember this same question and saying of WandaVision, and I think we did it with Loki, and you definitely saw it with um, Moon Knight, which is this trying to get or having this willingness to get creative, you know, and, and kind of pushing and. Miss Marvel in a weird way did that, but didn't, you know, it was like, like the visual style was definitely creative and and pushing, but it was also like knew what it was and just told a really, really good coming of age story, you know? Um, And so like one of my problems with 
the WandaVision is as creative as that was and conceptually how that didn't get pulled all the way through to the end, you know, um, the TV sitcoms uh, idea. And, 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 and so in that sense, it's like how this show was able to have something creatively different, but also just tell a simple story, you, you know, um, and, as Tara mentioned, the 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 coming back, the 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 first and six coming back in the end and kind of closing that up, so they were able to take that that new creative look and and pull it all the way to the end. Um, and so finding a way to to continue to do that of like here's the concept, it's this visual style, and we're going to put it all the way to the end you know, and, and whatever it is. So that, that would be the thing I hope that that other creators look and say, Oh, this show pulled it off, you know? So let me break down that script and, and see what made it work and break down what they did and see what made it tick. And, and so I can do that. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a clear demonstration that the final fight doesn't have to be absent of the theme. And I think that to what I'm hearing you say, that's what it feels like Miss Marvel, like those creators just clicked with in a way that I haven't felt in other shows. What about you, TK? Do you have a uh, lesson you'd like to see adopted into the other MCU Disney Plus shows? Yeah, I think one of the first things that Jude said earlier in terms of what resonated with him about the show overall is this idea that and I don't remember exactly how you put it, Jude, but there's a line in the last episode about, you know, if you save you save one life, you save the world or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of there being these smaller stakes, right, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and we've certainly seen, you know, shows and that we've described as being more kind of like street level. But there really was something about this one that, I think really, really nailed this idea that you save one life, you save the world. And I think that um, I think that's a, a lesson in you don't always have to go super big um, and to really focus on character-centric stories and relationship-centric stories is um, can be really powerful and really beneficial to resonating with audiences and getting us to invest in this character moving forward, this character of Kamala moving forward. But listening to everything we've been talking about tonight, we're not just invested in Kamala moving forward. We're also invested in her world and in her relationships and in the people around her. So I think that they really, really did a great job with that. Mm -hmm. Well said. The uh, it's that feeling of the the integration of the community. Uh, so I'm glad that's that's something that's sticking out to you as well. For me, and I've been struggling how to put this into words because it it feels like Moon Knight fits this criteria, but not in quite the same way that Miss Marvel did. And I think it, it probably lends to what you were saying, TK. But I want to see the Disney Plus shows focus more on solo stories. I feel like the theme in 2021 was it was always these pairings or or pairing a new hero with an old hero or pairing two of the, you know, lesser screen time heroes, you know, together with WandaVision. Um, 
there's something about having a new character get that space to develop that I think leaves room for what you were talking about, TK, where we don't have to deal with the baggage of the storylines of the other characters, which, for example, I don't want to be just completely talking down. I enjoyed what we got of Clint and Hawkeye, but I can also see what shows like Miss Marvel are able to accomplish when they have their own space to figure out who they are. And I mean, we're seeing it kind of go back to that early template with She-Hulk because we know Hulk's going to be a part of it as well. And that's preemptively, who knows, maybe it, it succeeds in a way that I didn't feel in the other ones, but I would like to see a confidence of like, hey, here's a new character. They're on their own. They don't need to be ushered in by anybody else. So, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I want to bring up one other thing. Well, go for it. One of the things I found interesting, just listen, something I found and I, I've kind of been sitting on it. Cause it's like, okay, does it fit somewhere? Um, and I feel like kind of here. So like, if you look at the rotten tomato score, there's a, the, you know, and I can share a link, but it has all the Marvel TV shows ranked according to rotten tomato scores. And literally like literally all of them in the sense of it has agents of shield, daredevil, uh, from Netflix, um, the superhero project, you know, um, Legion, all of that stuff, uh, cloak and dagger. And Miss Marvel's 98% and 95, I've actually found this surprising 95% for agents of shield, Netflix, daredevil, 92%. Then coming in fourth and fifth, although it seems tied because it's 92, Loki at 92% and Hawkeye at 92%. So, and I just found it funny because I I was listening and I was thinking, you know, Hawkeye is one of those more down-to-earth relational stories. Loki set aside a lot of the TVA time explanation and that stuff it really is just a relational story with loki and sylvie you you know and and those are the three highest rated you know and and i I mean you could say yeah there's relational stories in wandavision you could say that of moon knight but it's it's because of the style and moon knight and bouncing back and forth it takes some time to get there you know same thing with wandavision whereas this is just kind of it's a relationship story and so in in that way, you know, it's, it's interesting to me to see that those three at the top, are, you know, rated. Thinking, I know it's Rotten Tomato scores. Take it for what you will, um, but you know. Oh, and then by the way, Inhumans was the last. Eleven percent. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, holy cow, eleven percent. Also, where's Have what if? S- I don't see what if on the list, or maybe because it's not live. Oh, action. it's not. Maybe I, maybe no because there's yeah. a Modoc on here. That's some bias on that, the list part. That, I'll be honest. I I find it interesting that and the MCU rewind rewind guys told us to watch Cloak and Dagger, but that has a higher rating than Moon Knight. Hmm. Have you seen Inhumans, the TV show? TK. Oh no, I have not. <laughs> have Have you? Oh, no, okay. not yet. Maybe Which someday. Which yet 
<laughs> yet, yet doing some heavy the, lifting. It reminds, it reminds <laughs> me of it reminds me of the movie High Fidelity, and they did this whole thing about the word yet. And, <laughs> and, well, yet that means they want to, but they probably don't. <laughs> Oh man! Well, that was interesting. Thank you for for bringing up that Rotten Tomatoes list. It's uh, at least on the Rotten Tomato score. It's it's very nice to see that Miss Marvel's charting at the top there. Well, unless there's anything more, I think that's going to wrap up our Miss Marvel wrap up discussion. So, TK, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us because it is always a delight to have you on. Uh, I think we were talking about this before we started recording. This honestly felt like a way for us to get front row seats to to your show. So thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts uh, about Ms. Marvel. Well, thank you so much, too. And I was saying earlier that I, I've i been chomping at the bit to talk about Ms. Marvel because I haven't been doing week-to-week coverage on my own show. I am going to be doing an episode where I share my overall impressions and hopefully I'm going to be speaking to a guest or two about Miss Marvel over on there was an idea, but it was really, really exciting to be able to have this conversation with you both and notice how I am really trying not to just say you guys all the time. I have in such a bad habit with you guys. (laughs) And I don't think I said this while we were recording before, but I just got back back from Texas. And so I'm really loving y'all right now. Um, yeah. Oh, I heard you put a, <laughs> y'all a couple of y'all drops. I heard you put a y'all in there. <laughs> um, no, so I I just want to thank y'all so much for having me on here to talk about Miss Marvel. So efficient. I, it is. It's fantastic. It's fantastic because you both. I I will use you both when there's two people, but sometimes there's more than two people. So that's you know y'all. Yeah. We gotta change our group thread to the y'all squad. (laughs) 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 So, of course, uh, make sure you're following TK on Twitter and Instagram, nidea underscore podcast. And if you're not following their podcast as well, we'll make sure to link it as well. Very much looking forward to your episodes. And, And people can go there and listen. You've outlined your plan for the podcast within the next few months, um, of which again, congratulations on coming up on that hundred episode drop. Thank mm-hmm. you. And I'm I'm really, I'm going to pretend like uh, this is all part of my plan to really tease out that 100th episode and uh, just make <laughs> sure that, you know, so I'll, I'll be getting there. I'll be getting there. I'm at, I, coming up, I am going to do an episode on Thor Love and Thunder. I'm going to do an episode on Miss Marvel. I'm going to put out an episode finally uh, that includes my presentation from the pop cultural association about eternals that i did back in april and then we're going to be at 100 so if anyone listening would like to reach out to me as uh, trey mentioned at an idea underscore podcast on instagram and twitter with uh what are what are some of the things that you love in the mcu not about the mcu but things that you love in the mcu from I don't know, Iman Vellani's performance as Miss Marvel to the fact that Kamran always calls Bruno Bryan. Those could be examples of things <laughs> that you might love in the MCU. And I'm I'm uh, taking lists from listeners to create a list of 100 things that we love in the MCU. So if you'd like to participate in that, please feel free to send me your ideas. Uh, and 
Even better than sending it to me in a message is sending it to me as a voice note so I can include your voice in the 100th episode. So that should hopefully be, be coming out within the next couple of months. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Thank you. As for this show, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can follow us at MZ Need to Know both on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you'd like to join the Discord, there is a larger community of people who are just as excited about the MCU and pop culture as we are. Uh, we'd love to have you over there. It's a, it's a tight-knit community. Yeah, now that you scroll down to the link for Discord, keep scrolling and add a rating and review. And that's, of course, assuming you're on Apple Podcasts or if you'd like to leave a rating on Spotify, that is tremendous help for us. And finally, you have friends. Share with them. Send them a link. Yeah. We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on the SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. Well, that's going to do it. Jude and TK, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. Thank you, TK. Thank (laughs) y'all. We'll see you all next week. All right. So uh, I'm going to try and do five run-throughs. So hopefully that'll give you enough... uh, audio to work with. Let me know if it doesn't sound right and I'll try and get you other ones recorded. So here we go. Well, Jude, I'm excited because we're reuniting with a guest whose podcasting character studies and thematic explorations make every superhero universe a fascinating deep dive. Congratulations are soon in order as she draws closer to that 100 episode milestone. But for now, we're delighted to welcome TK back to the podcast. Welcome, TK. Well, Jude, I'm excited because we're reuniting with a guest whose podcasting character studies and the de- 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 <laughs> dang it, I almost did all five of them perfectly. <laughs> oh man, here we go. Well, Jude, I'm excited because we're reuniting with a guest whose podcasting character studies and thematic explorations make every superhero universe a fascinating deep dive. Congratulations are soon in order as she draws closer to that 100-episode milestone. But for now, we're delighted to welcome TK back to the podcast. All right, one more for good luck and then I'm done. Sorry, this is so long. Well, Jude, I'm excited because we're reuniting with a guest whose podcasting character studies and thematic explorations make every superhero universe a fascinating deep dive. Congratulations are soon in order as she draws closer to that 100-episode milestone. But for now, we're delighted to welcome TK back to the podcast. Welcome, TK. And there we go. Man, if this wasn't for a guest, I think this would be a funny in tech. (laughs) It's just chaos.